Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Delighted to have you with me today. Really uh, appreciate all the letters and emails and reviews. You guys have been flooding my inbox, and I want you to know that whatever you send me, at some point in time, I will get a chance to read. I read them all. Sometimes it takes me a little while to get around to them, a week or two. Just because of sheer volume, I get a lot of stuff already from all our events, and we have 21,000 clients we serve and coach and help. But I really appreciate all your feedback, and I'm really glad this is making a difference for so many of you. Today, we're going to be talking about how to be socially savvy. We're really going to be delving into the subject of emotional intelligence. But I want to share with you, I've been wanting to talk about this topic for some time. Because everywhere I go, I just see symptoms and evidence that people are becoming less socially savvy all the time. It's tripping them up in their family life, in their work life, in their interpersonal relationships. And I really believe it's the number one ailment of our society today. And it's that loss of connection and civility towards one another. You know, we've become the selfie nation. We've become self-consumed. And I just see it so much more than ever before. And we all know how this story ends. In Greek mythology, Narcissus, who fell in love with his own reflection, eventually staring into the pond and admiring his own face, the ultimate selfie, fell into the water and drowned. And that's how this story ends. We become a culture of instantaneous judgments of each other. It began on social media, but it's now starting to play out in our social interactions. Now, social media commentary is a land without accountability or consequences for our statements. I mean, people have just learned to hide behind a screen and blast one another, things they would never dream of saying to one another face-to-face. But what's happened is you become callous. You become kind of immune to it. Here's a bizarre example of how quickly we judge the situation, judge it wrong, get two seconds or four seconds or ten seconds of information, and then define who a person is, what their motives are, and then make a statement about it. So I'm a big sports fan. All my kids, actually, all six of my kids have played basketball uh, in high school and won championships and things like that. So I enjoy the game, and college basketball is really great. They have March Madness here in the States, and... It's a huge college tournament, and it's just fantastic. People get involved. They have pools. Who's going to win what? And every year, they're always looking for what's called a Cinderella story, a team that's not very highly ranked, has very little chance to win, barely made it into the tournament that goes on a deep run. And this year, uh, Loyola Chicago was the team, and unbelievable upset after upset after upset, and they get to the quarterfinals. Now, it's a Catholic school, and in there, they have uh, Sister Jean Schmidt, So she's this 99-year-old little terrier of a nun. She's a great character. And the boys just love her, and she just loves the boys, and she's had every single game, and she's dressed up in all the gear. And as, of course, the team starts winning, they become the Cinderella story. The media gets a hold of it. Then they see all these stud basketball players at the end of every game running up the hall to give this 99-year-old little lass a hug. They put a microphone in front of her. She's wise. She's profound. She's funny. She's engaging. She knows the game. So she goes to every game. 
And she has a little tradition that a couple of minutes before the end of the game, they wheel her in her wheelchair back up through into the tunnel where the players exit so she can have a moment with them. And here, you know, I love it. You know, I have a, boys that played college sports and, you know, for them to have this kind of affection and affinity with this gal is unbelievable. And she's a nun and it, it's just special. So they run up, they give her a hug, and if they lost, she'd give them a word of encouragement. If they win, she celebrates with them. It's great stuff. So Loyola's in the quarterfinals, the final four, they call it. They're actually winning at halftime, dramatic game, you know, millions and millions of people watching. So in the second half, the favorite comes back and does what the favorite does. You know, Goliath wins, David's going to lose. And it's like a couple of minutes before the end of the game, they're down a bunch of points and as typical a person wheels her sister Jean up the tunnel to wait for the team to exit there were 20,000 tweets that then responded to what people saw on television because people unfamiliar with the story uneducated knowing nothing all of a sudden see here she is now that her team's losing she quit on them yeah that's right now that they're not winning anymore, she was only in it for the glory. I bet she's making a ton of money from this. And rag, rag, rag. There were 20,000 tweets going back and forward about about a five or six second clip on the TV. That was 1,000% wrong. She did what she did every time. She was only ever about the kids. She's a nun. She has a vow of poverty, you morons. She's not making money. She's not doing it for glory. And at 99 years of age, she's not trying to be the next Demi Lovato or whatever. She was doing what she always does, is loving on those kids. But the culture that we live in today, people took five seconds of video and made their decisions about it and made their judgments about it and in an unaccountable format, blasted away on social media. I'm going to share with you that that is becoming pervasive in how we live and how we think and how we interact. And there's no wisdom in it. There's no foolish in it. My old college English professor used to say a text without a context is a pretext. And what we have today is a lot of pretext judgments, pretext interactions. What I do believe about today is that the ability to connect with others and be socially savvy will help you stand out amongst your competition in business, will help you get further ahead on your job, will help you have better relationships with spouses, family, friends, and ultimately lead to a happier, more fulfilled life. It will actually make you in today's world special. What used to be normal is now special. Someone who knows how to greet someone, make someone feel good, someone who knows how to be hospitable, courteous, respectful, someone who knows how to connect and interact and understand the needs of others and meet the needs of others is now so unique in the marketplace that you will have, if you're a single lady and looking for a guy, you'll have suitors up the wazoo. If you're a gentleman, you know, my boys have girls hanging out them left, right, and center. They're good-looking guys, but they're gentlemen, and they treat ladies with respect. You'll get job applications. You'll get promotions. You will get customers. You will keep customers. In every capacity, it's better, and ultimately, it leads to a heck of a good life. It's just good to be good with people. Now, don't get me wrong. The deepest hurts I've had in my life have been interpersonal conflicts. And I know that many people who've been hurt by others tend to clam up, cover up, and check out. But when you do, then you miss out on the greatest joy you can ever experience, which is that sense of connection, that sense of koinonia, friendship, relationship, that actually makes life worth living.
So what I want to do today is to share with you some principles that I've come to live by. I'm going to share with you some things that I've studied and some research my team has helped me with. I'm also going to share with you, you know, some deeply held values of mine. And, you know, I think if you've been listening to the last hundred episodes of this podcast or not, you know that I'm not a Bible thumper. Certainly not. But I am a big fan of the scriptures and much of the principles that I live by have had their roots and foundation there. One of the core foundational principles I've built my life and my business by is this biblical principle that says, do nothing out of vain or empty conceit, but with all humility, consider others more important than yourself. Do nothing out of vain or empty conceit, but with all humility, consider others more important than yourself. I will say that that's an unnatural act, and it is. If it wasn't an unnatural act, I wouldn't have to say it to myself every day. When I talk to my marketing team, my sales team, my content team, I'm always letting them know, I want you to think from our customer's perspective, not ours. I don't really care what it looks like for our lighting package. I only care what the customer sees. I don't really care how nice the workbook looks to a designer. I just care that the print's so small that a 50-year-old can't read it. And these are the things that go back and forward all the time between me and my whole company as I try to teach and train Because it all comes from a principle of, I want to treat others more important than myself. Maybe that's one of the reasons why along the way, I didn't do it for these purposes, but I've had a company that's grown exponentially, and it's done it year after year for decades. So I want to talk to you today about how to be socially savvy. We're going to talk, first of all, about the symptoms of having a low emotional intelligence. That's really the the phrase that's used today, you know, EQ. For years, people focused on a person's IQ. But what all the study shows that a person with emotional intelligence constantly outperforms, has higher income and a higher net worth in the work world, for example, than someone who has a high IQ. So we're going to talk about the symptoms of low emotional intelligence. We're going to share with you the benefits of developing emotional intelligence. And then, of course, I'm going to give you some applications and some practical principles, right? Mindset, motivation, and methodologies. We always want to do it. So we're going to start out here with the consequences, then the motivation, and the mindset to do it, and then ultimately how to go and apply it with some methodology. So what is emotional intelligence? This is ultimately how to be socially savvy. And so the definition is it's the ability to identify and manage your own emotions, and also understand those of others. So it's the ability to identify and manage your own emotions and also identify and understand those of others. Now, I'm Irish-Italian. That's nitro and glycerin in the same body. It's like putting it in a bottle and shaking it up regularly, okay? So managing my own emotions. One of my favorite things to do is bring Americans when they come to Ireland and I'll take them to a game of hurling. H-U-R-L-I-N-G. One of the greatest sports in the world. I played it throughout my school years. I won a national championship in it in high school. It's a great sport. Second fastest sport in the world. Dislocated every finger in my hands doing it. Great sport. But if you sit there and listen to Irish people cheering for their team, it's hilarious. And it's the opposite of emotional intelligence. Because they go from, ah, good man, Johnny, good man, good man. You dirty looking idiot, Johnny, what are you doing? And it'll be in the same sentence. The guy goes from hero to zero in a suppose of eight seconds. And they're all the same. And it's when people are standing there, and I bring Americans to this game, they think, this is a great game. This is great energy. And it's got this, the crowd has this like bloodlust. Hurling's about a thousand year old game. And the rules basically haven't changed in a thousand years. But you hear the crowd, and they go from high to low in seconds for a complete hour. 
it never stops and it's hilarious and it sounds like they're all little schizophrenic almost but it's managing your emotions that's an Irishman and then Italians oh my gosh that's the other side of the family you know tie our hands we can't talk so managing your emotions that's not a natural state for me understanding those of others now this is where you really make your money so another definition also the capacity to be aware of control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathically that's very very professorially very nice bottom line is manage yourself manage your own emotions identify them in others and then know what to do and how to do it be socially savvy What's interesting about our world today is that most people aren't even interested in this. Because <laughs> they're interested in themselves. When people think about emotional intelligence, they want to be understood. And so the key is, Stephen Covey used to say in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, first seek to understand, then be understood. And we'll walk through that. And so emotional intelligence, it started in the early 90s as a science. Jack Meyer and Peter Salovey introduced the concept of it. A good friend of ours at Buffini Company, Daniel Goleman, really wrote, I believe, the best book on the subject called Emotional Intelligence. It's just brilliant stuff about understanding your own emotions, which is self-awareness. Good at managing your emotions, that's self-management. Being empathic to what drives people and their emotions, that's social awareness. And then good at handling other people's emotions, that's social skills. So self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, social skills. Very powerful stuff. And so here are the symptoms. You may think, okay, well, where, where does this apply to me? Here are the symptoms of lower emotional intelligence. So I know people who are very much a brainiac when it comes to academics, and as they say at home, thick as a brick when it comes to people. And I want to say to you, if you're going to get something right, make sure you're good with people. Because you can be great with the books, but you'll be alone, isolated, and not highly compensated, by the way. So learning how to develop your emotional intelligence. Here's the good news. For some people, it's more natural than others. But in many cases, it's a skill that can be developed. So here's the symptoms when it's not going well. Arguments. George Bernard Shaw, a good Irishman, said, I learned long ago never to wrestle with a pig. You get dirty, and besides, the pig likes it. Okay? And we all know people like that. I'm not saying to call people pigs, but sometimes their attitude can be a little porky, if you get my drift. And then Oliver Goldsmith said, In arguing, too, the parson owned his skill, for even though vanquished, he could argue still. Apparently, even through the centuries, emotional intelligence was an issue. So arguments is an example of low EQ. Blaming others is a symptom of low EQ. Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, said, it's always easy to blame others. You can spend your entire life blaming the world, but your successes or your failures are entirely your own. The great John Wooden, the UCLA basketball coach, said, you're not a failure until you start blaming others for your mistakes. So arguing, blaming, a lack of deep relationships... Now, this is hard in today's world. This is hard, and it doesn't mean you're going to have tons and tons of deep relationships. We all know what the divorce rates are. We all know how frequently it is now that people fall in and out of friendship, things like that. We see it happen all the time. It's a sign of low emotional intelligence. Peter Stark said, emotional intelligence is when you finally realize it's not all about you. Tony Gaskin said, communication to a relationship is like oxygen to life. Without it, it dies. You want deeper relationships, which really makes life worthwhile. 
we got to increase our emotional intelligence. The next one, emotional outbursts. You know, we all know the symptoms of that and the consequences of that. If you run a little hot as a person, you blow up and you get all that stuff off your system, uh, you feel good, but everyone around you feels bad. I always say to people, for men, uh, anger is the only acceptable emotion in the world today. And so emotional outbursts, it's a sign of a low EQ, not a sign of a low IQ. And the good news is we can do something about it. A couple of quotes on this. Robert Two said, every time you get upset at something, ask yourself, if you were to die tomorrow, was it worth wasting your time being angry for? That's a good one. Here's another one. Peter Sims said, your anger and emotional outbursts usually result when someone penetrates to the core of what you do not like about yourself or still cannot accept. Now, I could do a whole podcast on that. But I can tell you that for myself in my own journey of self-development and personal growth, the things that kind of bother me the most about other people when I really dig in are ultimately the things that bother me about myself at the deepest of the psychological levels. Powerful stuff. So, another symptom of low EQ is a lack of empathy. And when you heard the definition of emotional intelligence, actually understanding the emotion of others, ultimately it can be defined in having empathy for others. Mehmet Oz, uh, Dr. Oz himself, said the opposite of anger is not calmness, it's empathy. And so that's an exact dynamic. And so for any of you that run a little hot, that are prone to angry outbursts or feeling anger, one of the ways to mitigate that in your life, for all of us who struggle with that, I certainly do, is actually to develop more empathy. And that's uh, powerful stuff. So the symptoms, arguments, blaming, lack of deep relationships, emotional outbursts, and lack of empathy. I think we can all agree, I don't want any more of that. Those are the consequences. I just want to point them out, right? There's blessings, there's consequences. Here's the consequences of low emotional intelligence and a lack of being socially savvy. Here's the benefits, the benefits of developing emotional intelligence. First, a greater understanding of yourself and others. I think it's a powerful thing to grow yourself so that there's an outlet for it. I want to grow myself, and it has a purpose to it. I want to grow myself so I have better relationships. I want to grow myself so I can give more of myself away. I want to grow myself so I can grow my business. I want to grow myself so I can serve more people. I want to grow myself so those who come in contact with me, their life's been bettered by me. So a greater understanding of yourself is a powerful thing, and a greater understanding of others, powerful. A great quote I found that was from an unknown author. It said, maturity is not when we start speaking big things. It's when we start understanding small things. I'm sharing with you, it's that when you take the small steps, the small things, you notice the little things. When you do that and you act on those things, that's what is the big things to people. I talked about the lack of empathy. Obviously, increasing your empathy, very powerful. And that's another benefit here. And empathy is about standing in someone else's shoes, feeling with his or her heart, seeing with his or her eyes. Not only is empathy hard to outsource and automate, but it makes the world a better place. That was Daniel Pink. Carl Rogers said this, we think we listen, but very rarely do we listen with real understanding, true empathy. Yet listening of this very special kind is one of the most potent forces for change that I know. Powerful stuff. The third benefit of developing EQ is that you become more skilled in your communication, which then diffuses conflict. I mean, who wants conflict? My wife tells me I'm really good at it. I got to tell you, I've been in a lot of conflict. 
I'm brought in to help people with conflict, but I do not like conflict, just so you know. And so being skilled in communication diffuses conflict. You could arguably say the greatest conflict the world's ever known was the Second World War. And recently in the uh, Academy Award-winning movie, The Darkest Hour, there's a depiction of Winston Churchill when he first becomes Prime Minister of England. And his own party doesn't want him. The opposition kind of nominates him. The king doesn't want him. He's not sure the public wants him. He wasn't voted in as Prime Minister. Another guy stepped down. When he becomes Prime Minister is a couple of weeks before France falls, before basically Europe falls at the hands of Nazi Germany. Not a great time to become anything. And ultimately, Churchill makes a speech in Parliament, and his greatest opposition is sitting in the pew watching him, and all of a sudden, the whole Parliament erupts in support behind him. He gets the English people behind him, and it changes everything. It changes the course of history. And the guy that was his greatest opposition turns to a friend and says, his friend says, what just happened? And he said, Winston just unleashed the power of the spoken word. Skilled communication changes everything. It can start a war, it can diffuse a war, and it can stop a war from happening that should never happen. There's an awful lot of just sometimes casual communication, sloppy communication. I've been absolutely guilty of this myself, where I'm not as intentional, where all of a sudden the wrong word produces the wrong reaction. And it's ultimately have an empathy that this may not be what you meant to say. You may not have had any interest in hurting somebody's feelings or sending them sideways. But at the end of the day, you have to be responsible for your part in it. If you use sloppy language, unskilled language that led to someone else going sideways, you don't own their reaction to it or overreaction to it, but you own your part. Skilled communication diffuses conflict, and that's a way you can develop and become greater with your emotional intelligence. Another benefit of increasing your emotional intelligence is increased performance. The Hay Group states that one study of 44 Fortune 500 companies found that salespeople with high emotional intelligence produce twice the revenue of those with average or below average scores in emotional intelligence. Doesn't that make sense? A salesperson who's able to identify the needs and the emotions of their customer to be able to identify those things, provide a solution for those needs, and then appropriately bring somebody along. That doesn't mean they're pushier or better dialogues or anything like that. It means they've got it where it counts, emotional intelligence. In the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0, they did a survey. They found that $29,000 was the average difference between people with high or average emotional intelligence. Career Builder, who does a lot of work in this subject, by the way, they're developing emotional intelligence questionnaires now for applicants to come work for companies. But here's what they found. 90% of the top performers from CareerBuilder had a high emotional intelligence score. 75% of employers said they're more likely to promote someone with high emotional intelligence. Two-thirds of workers say communication problems are the leading cause preventing them from doing their best work. So this is how to move up the ladder. This is how to do better. This is how to stop poor production. Emotional intelligence is responsible for 58% of the job performance of people, according to CareerBuilder. Powerful, powerful stuff. They also quote the $29,000. So it shows up at home. It shows up at the family reunion. It shows up in the neighborhood. It shows up with your kids on teams and with you sitting in the stands. 
it shows up at church? Have you ever met someone who is spiritually a genius and emotionally a complete dope? I have. So heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And here's the thing, they might have the best heart in the world, but the next thing they can't understand where the church is split and people don't come back. They don't understand. They see it all the time. I'm not challenging somebody to say you're a dummy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying you can improve these things, but I'm saying it's a must. I'm saying it's hard. You have to be outside yourself. You have to really work at it. You have to be willing to give of yourself. You have to grow and learn about yourself. Powerful stuff. The ultimate benefit of high emotional intelligence is improved relationships. You know, that's just where it's at. The great Ken Blanchard said, the best minute you spend is the one you invest in people. Powerful stuff. So we want a greater understanding of self and others. We want increased empathy. We want to be skilled communicators that diffuse conflict. We want increased performance. And we want improved relationships. All those in favor say aye. Aye. I'm in the studio by myself. So let's talk about how to apply it to your life. So here's a couple of tips, the methodologies that we're known for here on this podcast. First, I'm going to share with you to be more outwardly focused. To be more outwardly focused. That's that. Do nothing from vain or empty conceit. Consider others more important than yourself. Hard to do, but a great way to live. Become outwardly focused. Here's a couple of ways to do it. Find a need, fill a need. Find a need, fill a need. When you start performing at a high level, I see it all the time. And they don't have to be giant needs. Sometimes it's just something small. In fact, something small is very relatable. It's something that anyone can do something about. So you find a need, you fill a need. I see it all the time. I'll be at a meet and greet line at one of our events, and I'll be talking to someone, and they have a kid in a certain situation. I'll take their business card, write a little note on the back of it. When I get back to the office, I'll send a book to that kid and a little note. Oh, my gosh. I've had people call and leave in voicemail messages, bawling their eyes out and telling their friends and so on and so forth. Just because you saw a need, you filled a need. By the way, you do it for the joy of it. You don't do it for the reasons of it. I, I had an event here in Richmond about uh, a month ago, and a gentleman who owns a pretty good-sized company brought two busloads of people. Two busloads of people. We had 2,500, 2,600 people at this conference. He brought two busloads of people. And again, I'm doing a meet and greet and so on and so forth. This lady comes up to me. Oh, yeah, my broker brought me. He thinks you're the greatest thing in the world, yada, yada, yada. And the next person, oh, my broker brought me. He thinks you're the greatest thing in the world, yada, yada. So all these people came together. So finally, I said to this one person, where's your broker? So he came by. And he said, Brian, do you remember in 1999 when we first met? And I cannot remember for a minute what happened in 1999. I, I have six kids and a couple of hundred employees. And I know what I had for lunch. And so he goes, my son was going through a tough time, and you called him. And he said it made all the difference for him. And here we are, 20 years later. And this guy, and it turns out he's been doing this for years and years. Now, it turns out a number of my staff knew him and this and that and the other, and I reached out to him here recently. He's 20 years later bringing busloads of people to our conferences because of one moment of having a need met that meant the world to him. Now, I want you to know that I don't sit down and count that stuff up. I'm doing some research for a conference I'm doing later in the year called Mastermind. One of the things I'm going to be talking about is the purpose to serve and why service is ultimately a big part of purpose. And I want to tell you, as, I, as I'm reading and researching the net, for example, I can't find articles 
that don't include the reason to serve and the seven benefits you get from it. Here's what you get from giving. When you give, you get so much more. Every article. I'd love to see an article that says, give for the joy of giving. Serve for the privilege of doing. It's a great way to live. Now, there is the law of the harvest. There is what you reap, you sow, what you plant, you, you'll see filled. There are people, whether they call it providence or karma or whatever they want to call it, what goes around comes around. Okay, hopefully you have a belief system like that. But ultimately, it's a great way to live. So why don't you make it your job to find little needs that people say, listen to things they say, and then fill the need. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, a little bit of time. It could be a word of encouragement. It could be a referral to a podcast. It could be a book that you send them out. It could be just a word of encouragement that they need to hear verbally. And when you sow those kind of seeds, boy, you'll see a lot of rewards. So find a need, fill a need. The second little point on that is give for the joy of it. Just don't give to get. Give for the joy of it. It's so wonderful. It's my favorite thing in the world is to give. Now, understand, there's no end in sight to the amount of needs there are in this world. And there is a God, and I'm not him. So I can't fill all the needs. But I, I have learned to give for the joy of it. I've learned to give anonymously. I've learned to, to do it in secret. But give for the joy of it. There's a great joy in giving. Again, Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And be generous. Be generous. Now, I will share with you, and I, I've, this is honest feedback, and I really appreciate it. I had someone say to me one time, Brian, I understand why you're generous. You're a very wealthy man. And I remember, you know, I've said this to many people. I was a generous person when I was broke. I think growing up in Ireland, there was no one more generous. I mean, Ireland in the early 80s, my formative years, was a poor country, very poor country. My mother, we used to say she did the loaves and fishes trick every day. She did that every day. And she would just not feed us. She would feed an elderly neighbor. And she would feed the neighbor's dogs. And she would... I don't know how she figured it out. The people who have the least often give the most, percentage-wise. When Jesus is in the temple and all the people are given the money and the one little widow gives a penny, he makes a big deal of it. And it's a story still told 2,000 years later. Because she gave a penny because it was the biggest gift she could give. Be generous. It's a spirit of giving. And by the way, because of the law of the harvest, when you find a need and fill a need, give for the joy of it, and you're generous of spirit, you get to reap the rewards. But you get it in in heart, in soul, in personage. It's very, very powerful. Eleanor Roosevelt, she said, since you get more joy out of giving joy to others, you should put a good deal of thought into the happiness that you are able to give. Brilliant stuff. And that was a brilliant woman. Powerful stuff. As you can tell, I'm a little fired up about this stuff. It's very close to home. And I know it's not as structured and here's how to make a million dollars this week and so on and so forth but I believe this is how to become rich have a rich life and be rich in spirit here's another good tip in regards to how to apply it to your life and it's a principle here is you want to be outwardly focused the first one you want to listen with your eyes and your ears would be the second one listen with your eyes and with your ears so the first thing is to actually develop the skill of listening we did a podcast I believe it was podcast episode 26 If you haven't listened to that, I was in an interview with a gentleman, Steve Shapiro. It was one of the early, early recordings back in Buffini Company, and we had great feedback on it. If you haven't listened to that, please do. You have two ears and one mouth, right? So listen twice as much as you talk. Powerful stuff. The second thing is to listen with your eyes. I am observing people all the time. I'm observing their reaction or lack of reaction. I, I observe how they interact, how they connect. 
I listen with my eyes. And Stephen Covey talked about listen with your eyes for feelings. And I never really described it that way, but when, when I read that, I thought, well, that makes sense. Ken Kessie said, see with your ears and hear with your eyes. So listen with your eyes. You know, be observant. And the third part here is to be present with others, to actually physically be present. Now, this is a distracted world we're living in. A recent survey said that the average millennial checks their phones 150 times a day, but the average person, we touch our phones, whether we're swiping and clicking, the average is 2,600 times a day. That is freaky deaky. I mean, those things have become binkies for people. I've been doing it lately. I take a one-day fast away from my phone. I pick a day, and the phone, I actually throw it in the trunk of my car. And I used to do this years and years ago. But now I'm going to share with you. I'm not on a lot of social media stuff. I'm not. I mean, I'll check some stuff out, but I'm really not living on it. But I can tell you, I almost develop a rash on the days that phone's in the back of my car. It's not easy. And so it is very, very hard to be present with people. Uh, In fact, I know this is a little off color here, but there was a recent survey done of the number one sexual problem in America. And it was people reading their phones while in some part of the intimate process, people are checking their phones. Now, that's pretty stupid, but that's what we're doing because we're becoming distracted. So let me give you kind of an illustration here that maybe can help you. I won't really know how my whole family life will have turned out until I'm basically ready for the big, long dirt nap in the pine box. But I can tell you that, you know, as of today with my six grown children, they've turned out remarkably well. And I'm very, very thankful for them and proud of them and proud of the work they do and how they interact with others. And I would say they are more emotionally intelligent than my wife and I combined. One of the things we did with our kids, and I've told this story years ago at our events, was when our kids were small, we never wanted to have a situation where we had a child-centered home. And we never wanted to have with the whole world revolved around our kids. So we're at a grocery store. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Daddy, daddy, daddy. We have people over at the house. Mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. And, and that the world just stopped because one of my A-team has a question and so on and so forth. So we taught them when they were small, when if mom and dad are engaged in a conversation with each other or some other person, and you really need to talk to us, and it's when they were very small even, you put your hand on our leg or your hand on our hand. And when it's appropriate, we will break away from the conversation because you're important to us. And we will give you our full attention. And to communicate this, Beverly started this. She'd hold the cheeks of the kids. So I got into the habit of it too. In fact, when they were really young and earnest, while we were holding their cheeks, they'd put their hands on our cheeks too. And we would lock eyes. We would give them our full attention. I'm going to share with you that that, physical practice led to what I saw a developing self-esteem in these young people that has continued on into their adult life because they understood I am of such importance that my father or my mother is giving me their full undivided unequivocal attention mind heart everything and just those moments by the way kids don't want you holding their face all day these were moments but it was full connection and being fully present with somebody And it produced a deep sense of security. I'm going to share with you, you have to be present with yourself. To be present with somebody else. There's a great movement in the culture today towards different forms and disciplines of meditation. I think it's fabulous. I think the more a person can learn to be present, 
of one of the old Hebrew Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. You have to be present with yourself so that you can be present with others. You can't be present with others when you're scrolling. You can't be present with others when you're texting. And I catch myself doing it, and I do not like it. I was on my way to lunch today, and I was having a conversation, and a text came in, and I was responding to it, and I remember feeling to myself I'm being disrespectful right now. And I am. Just because it's acceptable doesn't mean it's good. So learn to listen with your eyes and your ears. Develop that skill of listening. Listen with your eyes, and then be present. Powerful stuff. The last thing, and always the last thing, to apply this stuff to your life is this. Your mom was always right. Mom was right. She was. You know, the more I hear, you know, that's an old wives' tale, there's a reason those things are still true. And my mother has given me tools for life that's allowed me to succeed. So I'm going to share with you things my mom gave me that your mom probably gave you that I'm going to say to you that today are remarkable things. So here's the first one. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Now, I have great kids, but I want to say this to you. Please and thank you was not optional. And my 25-year-old son who's married with his own son, he knows that if something's ever handed to him or whatever else, in a moment, if it's not thank you, I'll remind him to say it. If in a moment. Now, I've been doing it so long, my kids, it's ingrained in them. And you can say, well, that's just they're saying things by rote. Sometimes you have to do things by rote until they take you by heart. My family goes to a restaurant and the waitress will tell me they're the most polite family they've ever met. And I think that's sad. Because someone who's a server was appreciated. Oh, can I get a bowl of macaroni and cheese, please? And when it comes, they say thank you. Those are the basics. But that's not the basic today. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you went and had a service? Maybe you went and you got a smoothie. You got yourself a coffee or a this or a that. And the person behind the counter didn't look at you, didn't smile, didn't say hello didn't make eye contact didn't say thank you after you gave them their money and how many times have you seen people receive service and not say thank you start watching start watching in a restaurant how many times a server will bring food and the person leans back lets the person put their food down and says nothing i'm going to say this to you boys and girls there's never been an easier time to be successful than this there's never been an easier time to stand out than this because the basics make you extraordinary today They make you a great catch as a person if you're looking for a partner. They make you a very concerned customer service-driven organization if you do it as people. It makes you grow in your business and, and people become advocates for you because you say things your mom taught you. Please and thank you. Watch. Start watching. Start listening. I'm going to say this to you. It used to drive me crazy, and now what it does, it drives me to know my future is very secure. I want to say this to you. I promise you that in a few years, Buffini and Company will be making a huge fortune with one of our parts of our training division by training younger employees how to say please and thank you, look someone in the eye, shake their hands, be courteous, be respectful, and act like you don't hate the customer. Please and thank you. There's a little song we used to sing our kids. Please and thank you, please and thank you. Please and thank you are polite. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. You are so welcome is polite. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Miss Mrs. These are polite. I'm going to make a fortune teaching that to adults in the next five to ten years because that is remarkable in today's culture. 
Here's another thing my mom used to say. I'll bet your mom used to say something like this. If you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. Now, isn't that the hallmark of emotional intelligence? Know your own emotions and know others. If you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. Just think about how many conflicts would be reduced in your life if you had nothing good to say and you bit it. And you just decided to say nothing. Now, I'm not saying you smolder in anger and become uh, Vesuvius. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in those momentary sloppy moments when you have nothing good to say, you say nothing at all. Powerful stuff. Richard Branson said, please be polite. Nothing in life should erode the habit of saying thank you to people or praising them. The Dalai Lama said, be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. Brilliant stuff. So please and thank you. If you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. And lastly, it's nice to be nice. It is nice to be nice. And here's where I sound like all the blogs and all the things that are out there. Here's the thing. When you're nice as a person, it's nice to be that way. You give out good energy all day long, it's a good way to live. Now, does that mean that everyone you come in contact with will be nice? I have it all the time. My brother Dermot and I were coming back from lunch the other day. There was a gentleman right there in the lobby of the restaurant. I said to him, hello, how are you? And he just looked at me. And I stood there and I said, I'm fine, how are you? It's great, isn't it a beautiful day outside? And finally he looked at me. And I wasn't mocking him per se, But ultimately, he looked at me and he said, he kind of realized I was going to stand there until he said something. And he looked up and he went, yeah. (laughs) And I walked on. And it was like, I forced this human being to interact. How great was that? I'm going to share with you that I'm not nice to flight attendants because I want them to be nice to me. I'm not nice checking in at the ticket counter because I want a better seat. I endeavor to be nice to people all the time. When I meet a waiter or waitress that does a good job, I give them an exceptionally high tip. I think I tipped the person today twice the price of the meal. You know why? She was good at her job. She had good energy. She had a great attitude. We had a wonderful time. And here's the thing. The meal was 25 bucks, and I gave her a $50 tip. Now, you can say, well, I'm watching a budget and so on and so forth. Here's what I want to tell you. I'm not going to lose sleep tonight over 50 bucks, not because I'm a gazillionaire. I'm going to tell you, I had great joy in thinking, when I walk out the restaurant, that gal is going to see that tip, and she's just going to smile. And that made me smile. And you know what? That was worth 50 bucks. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. And I do it every hour of every day, God helping me. Now, do I ever say things that I shouldn't say when I should say nothing at all? Every day. Do I ever forget to be nice uh yeah yeah sometimes i'm a grumpy old bugger i'm a grandpa now i'm allowed to be grumpy apparently it was great one of the great benefits of being a grandfather but i'm going to say to you this is how i live now i'm not telling you that the way i live is the way you should live i will just say that i have had the blessing of living a good life and i meet an awful lot of people that are depressed that are down that are single again and again and again that uh, their children aren't talking to them and they're not talking to their family members and there's conflict everywhere they go. I've seen very talented people come and go in my employment. I've seen extremely talented people who are clients of ours who had intelligence, drive, ambition, skill up the wazoo, but no emotional intelligence. No emotional intelligence. They were unaware of themselves unaware of others and unaware how their selves was showing up with others. I've seen people who were extremely talented coaches lose their job because they were very skilled at the sport and very unskilled with the people. 
I've seen people who lost their companies to bankruptcy and they had the best product, the best marketing, the best sales force, but the worst way with people. And that eventually translated into the worst way of the employees interacting with one another. And then the employees then ultimately interact with the customer that way. And I've seen it happen all over. And so there's great books on the subject now. That's what's fantastic. There's nothing there's not a book on anymore. There's a million titles of a book produced every year. There's only 100,000 nonfiction that become a bestseller. So we're very thankful to all of you, by the way, once again, for making The Emigrant Edge a bestseller. There's a lot of emotional intelligence in that book. Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. I would also encourage you to listen to the podcast we did, which was episode 14, where I did an interview with Daniel Goleman, considered the foremost authority in the world on the subject of emotional intelligence. Here's the great news. There's people who are more naturally gifted at this than others, but like in all things in life, the great equalizer is the person who works hard, considers it, and actually goes and develops their skill. And that's what I hope you do. So bottom line is we covered some symptoms of EQ, we covered the benefits of it, and we talked about applying it by being more outwardly focused, listen with your eyes and ears, and remember that your mom was right. And keeping that, my mom, boy, she's a great promoter, and she's always, more luck to you, Brian, and tell the world. And so I'm going to keep telling the world, you keep telling me what you want to hear. We're going to do some episodes up here coming very soon where David Lally, our great producer, is going to get all your questions. And we're going to do some uh, Q&A only sessions where you're going to send your questions in to David and I'll be answering your questions. That'll be great. Keep the letters coming. Keep the reviews coming. I Actually, I'm going to read a couple out here. Here was a wonderful review from Kimberly. Kimberly said, I'm a barista and a darn good one with fantastic customer service. But you know what? Listening to quality people living their lives to the best of their abilities, treating and serving others well has changed that. Now customer service is my heart and mindset for any and all interactions with others, whether I'm behind the coffee bar or getting groceries. This podcast has been a game changer for my spiritual life as well. Treating others better and better has drawn me closer to God and has created a grateful mindset in everyday living. Well, that's fantastic stuff, Kimberly. Thank you for that. Here's another one from C. Anderson. Brian, you're gifted to give fresh, relevant information on everything related to business and success in life and pursuing your personal goals and dreams. I listen to each of your podcasts and think it can't get any better than this, but I consistently find the last podcast I listened to is better than the one before. A million thanks for keeping it commercial-free. Hashtag fans forever. Hashtag unashamed buffiniite. And hashtag I'm new to hashtag. So thanks, uh, C. Anderson. I appreciate your reviews. Keep them coming. Keep your emails and letters coming. I love reading that stuff. Tell us what you want. Tell us what you've done with the content. Tell us how it's blessed you and benefited you. And uh, I also want you to do this. Can you tell a friend about it? We're trying to build a coalition of the positive here. And we're trying to get the word out. And a lie will get halfway around the world before the truth has got its shoes on sometimes. So if you think this podcast is a positive influence in your life and to think it could be an influence in your world, please tell your friends about it. And I do thank you all. You've made this show really grow and grow, and I'm very thankful for that. And we're going to keep serving you and doing the best we can to make it as good as we can. I shared with you a little bit ago about listen to your mom. And so now you're going to get a chance to listen to my mom as she says the Irish blessing that she told me since I was a, a little lad. So thanks for joining me today. God bless you all. I hope this has been helpful for you. And here's Therese Buffini herself. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. 
May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Thank you.